This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everyone. Right now, we're still in the morning of the first. As of now, the stocks have been up. Fed is expected to keep the policy remain the same, according to the CMA Fed Watch rule. Uh, you know, it's ninety-nine percent chance of it staying the same. Tim, you today you wrote a little note on the quarterly refunding announcement. Yeah. Let's talk about that, and let's talk about the backdrop of equities right now. Yeah, you know, the Fed is going to say what they always. Fed is going to stay on hold. Powell does not like to surprise the market. It's not like you've gotten some data in the last couple of days that is surprising to them that would make them change their opinion. Uh, so they're going to be on hold and they're going to say that they're data dependent. What matters to markets today and the reason why we've rallied from a morning where equity futures were considerably lower to where equity future, where equities are trading now, which is higher and above 4,200 for the first time in a little while, is this QRA. Is, you know, the background on the quarterly refunding announcement from Treasury is that back in July, uh, in the previous quarter's QRA, uh, the Treasury came out and said they were going to be issuing more longer duration bonds. And it is that supply and it is that concern that there is going to be a supply and demand mismatch. In other words, we know uh, because the Treasury told us that there's going to be a lot of more uh, longer dated bond issuance. Uh, the question is, where is the demand going to come from, right? U.S. banks aren't necessarily dying for duration. Uh, China, Japan, the oil states have all become, uh, have all shrunk their overall holdings of treasuries and they're not looking for duration either. Uh, but this morning you got what was, I don't know if the word is dovish or hawkish, but the treasury basically came out and said, now we're going to stay a little heavier on the bill side than what people were expecting. So you get a rally in TLTs, the, the, the equity index, uh, the equity ETF that tracks basically what the 10-year bond is doing. So you have yields down, bonds up this morning, and equities up, mostly because of that QRA. Uh, now, what, is that going to create an enduring rally? I have no idea. But you definitely had traders that were a bit off sides expecting this uh, QRA to be another catalyst to take the 10-year through five and maybe take the equity market or S&P down below 4100 uh, on the on the uh, on earnings season the one thing I would point out is some of the weakness that you're seeing in luxury you had a weak report from Estee today Estee Lauder uh, they are a company that is you know luxury high-end cosmetics personal care uh, that has always done well globally they've always done really well in the high-end travel and leisure market uh, but you've also had weakness from LVMH now in this season. And I do think you're finally starting to see the wealth effect manifest itself out of China, that there is a meaningful wealth effect, a loss of wealth uh, with the tier two, three and four cities uh, with the residential implosion that's going on there. As I always say, I'm fairly sanguine on the U.S. right now. Uh, it may be a kind of a sideways thinking in terms of the economy and uh, markets, but I am really bearish on what the demand outlook is going to look like from China because of the real estate issues there. Yeah, I mean, in terms of consumption, we saw that PCE increased 0.3 percent, um, but you know the spending was then then some, right? So we kept 
consistently, even if the inflation print is higher than expected, so has the spending. Um, and right. that was the case last month, and that was the case this most recent with these most recent numbers. So what do we make of that? I mean, it seems like there's still some runway. Yeah. I mean, look, if you take a look at uh, what's happening with inflation, people forget that inflation lags. So just as we got more demand than we expected to see in Q3, uh, you're going to see the lagged effect of, of that inflation. And you are seeing, you know, CPI prints that have been sequ sequentially stronger. Uh, you are seeing, especially on a month-over-month -month basis, so there does seem to be some reacceleration, at least minimally, uh, in uh, inflation. That partly is due, uh, you know, to some of the current concerns around oil. Though oil has acted incredibly well here, uh, we wrote about this again a few weeks ago, where we said, look, it's certainly not going to be a surprise if Israel strikes different proxies of. Uh, the Iranians either in Yemen or even strike uh, in Iran. Uh, but I think the oil market is taking all of this in stride because we know that there is excess capacity in Saudi Arabia, and then Saudi Arabia can be a bit of a release valve to the degree that the situation in the Middle East expands. But that's just one part of the inflation story. Look, overall, there is too much demand. And there is still too much demand from consumers. We've talked a lot about government spending driving a lot of that. But also, you have to respect that there is nominal wage growth. There is really meaningful nominal wage growth. And we'll talk a little bit later, I think, about what's going on with the labor strikes and so forth. But uh, we got another job openings, jolts number this morning that actually ticked higher. Uh, so the labor market remains strong. The Fed has not yet been successful at weakening the labor market to the degree, weakening corporate profitability and then the labor market to the degree that they need to. And the fact is, is that while money supply is coming down, you look at the aggregates like M2 and so forth, it doesn't tell you what's happening to the velocity of money. People who live paycheck to paycheck, and I know that gets, you know, there's there was, uh, there was this revelation with the SCF, which is the, um, uh, the Fed looks at <clears throat> overall uh, levels of savings uh, across the economy, and they came out and said, "This is this is a, uh, a study that they do," and they said, "Actually, consumer finances are better uh, than we thought they were." But you know that that also doesn't really tell you where you are going forward. What does tell you where you are, what what might matter going forward, is the higher velocity of money that comes from nominal wage growth. People who earn wages uh, spend the vast majority of those wages. So if the bottom half of the economy, let's say, or really the bottom three quarters of the economy are earning more nominally, that money gets spent into the economy. That creates a higher velocity of money. And I think that goes a long way to explaining the surprise uh, greater spending that we've gotten. You add on to that all the things that we've talked about. Uh, so much of the government spending continuing around even COVID programs like uh, equity retention credits and so forth for businesses getting paid up through Q2, the COLA adjustments that gave senior citizens a big raise in their Social Security, but also pushed people into lower tax brackets, giving uh, the population a raise in that sense. So there are a lot of things going on, but I think that that idea that the velocity of money from real weight from nominal and real wage growth is the most compelling argument that I've seen as to why we keep being surprised 
by the demand that we're seeing in the economy. Oh, we've seen it in the GDP numbers too, right? Consumer, yeah. The consumer was responsible for 68% of GDP this past quarter. I mean, government yeah. spending, as you said, was part of that. But uh, yeah, the consumer remains very strong. And they put up a seasonally adjusted 4.9% annualized rate, you know, when we're looking at July through September. So yeah, right. I mean, GDP was another aspect where we outperformed expectations. Yeah, GDP was quite a bit higher, and the consumption aspect of that, as you said, is the majority of why there was a beat. Government was more, uh, inventory build was more, uh, that inventory build is ephemeral. You don't know what inventories are going to look like from quarter to quarter. But we got an ISM this morning, and the ISMs have been terrible at predicting where the economy is going to go. But we've got really weak ISMs this morning. Uh, there is just so much contradictory data. You look at Johnson Red Book that is telling you that demand at retail is stronger. But then you look at NapTrack, which tells you that restaurant traffic is weaker. You look at the ISI, which has been an awesome um, metric. They have a really good um, uh, poll that they do of US corporations. That continues to get weaker. The ISMs, as I mentioned this morning, were terrible. Uh, other independent uh, entities that look at traffic for the consumer at retail, at leisure and hospitality, exclude cruise ships and exclude gaming, old people got money, um, uh, are getting weaker. Mm -hmm. So uh, it really is kind of hard to understand if there is some real slowdown occurring in the fourth quarter. But look, until you see weaker uh, wage growth, until you see weaker labor markets, I don't think there's any reason to expect that the U.S. economy is all of a sudden just going to turn on a dime and slow down. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the auto strikes a little bit earlier. Uh, obviously, that was a huge glitch in manufacturing. You know, the the, the union leader, Sean, he's kind of something of a wily e. coyote. He's very aggressive. Uh, you know, they, within uh, what was it? What day was it? But yeah, it was the day Sternalius like announced their earnings they went on strike. So it was like these layered strikes. But it seems like after six weeks of this, um, you know, workers got a lot of what they wanted in all these facilities. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he definitely looks a lot stronger coming out of this. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look, labor is stronger. Uh, it, all the charts that show labor activity are up and to the right. Uh, it has never been a, a better time to be negotiating uh, for higher prices as a company, you saw uh, as the UAW came to the end of their strike with the big three, you see, you saw Toyota come out and say in their domestic plants, we're gonna raise prices meaningfully, basically in line with the raises that these union workers are gonna do. What is Tesla gonna do? Tesla's gonna continue to pay guys less than, than they could make at Ford and GM and these other places. I mean, you just, you'd have a talent drain um, that you, that, so everybody has got to participate, whether you're unionized or not. You know, FedEx has got pressure to catch up on wages post uh, the UPS strikes. Uh, this is going to continue. Uh, it is demographics. We have a lot of people exiting the labor force, the baby boomers, and not enough people that are highly productive coming into the labor force. We have not enough immigration. And then at the same time, you have protectionism. You have uh, the deglobalization, and it's like really with deglobalization, it's de-Chinaification, right? Because what is a loss for China is good for Vietnam, it's good for India. You wrote about it uh, in the Q3 review that 
there are bright spots in this world and partly they are beneficiaries of so much supply chains moving away from China. But all of that is inflationary and all of that is tightening developed labor markets, developed world labor markets. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess we should finish the conversation. You know, Muhammad El Alrain was talking about the M Middle East conflict. It says the longer the fighting increases, the greater chance that we're going to escalate into some kind of regional conflict. Uh, you know, in terms of the Qataris, they've been calling for a ceasefire uh, and they've got, you know, would be contingent on a five day peace and some kind of hostage exchange and then some serious negotiations on what the region looks like after the conflict. I don't think Netanyahu is going to talk to them um, at this point, of course, but, you know, there's definitely more calls for a ceasefire. Iran hasn't really been put into the fray yet. Hezbollah hasn't invaded yet. Sure, there's been skirmishes in the north, but it seems like the situation has kind of continued along the same trajectory since the 7th of October. It's just Gaza yeah. being invaded and that that remains the front. Yeah. Look, Biden has been successful, I think, in other leadership. He's not the only one trying to pressure the Israelis to go slow. Let's not have a knee jerk, excessive response into Gaza. But the Israeli leadership across the board is 100 percent committed to absolutely eviscerating Hamas in Gaza. That is just getting started. Uh, and I feel like it's it's kind of the calm before the storm. In terms of Netanyahu giving a damn about what the Qataris say, the thing I don't understand is why is Iran a, a, a pariah state for supporting Hezbollah and Hamas, but Qatar, where it seems to me half of the real Hamas leadership lives, they're in the mix in negotiations oh, yeah, and hell, they hosted the World Cup. I don't yeah, they're posted up there. I mean, you don't yeah, have yeah. the guys living in Iran. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't, I don't get that aspect of it. But I, 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 it seems to me that there is a little bit of complacency uh, that because there has been some level of restraint to this point with the Israelis and working with the Americans and trying to get hostages out, that that the world thinks, all right, maybe this isn't going to turn into a really nasty hot war. But, you know, all the smart people that I listen to and read from Thomas Friedman to Annie Applebaum to uh, Ian Bremmer, I mean, it's it's like, you guys, yeah. this is this is going to get hot and it could get hot in a hurry. It just seems that people around the globe are just angrier and angrier the longer, uh, you know, this causes a humanitarian crisis. Um, I mean, you obviously saw what's happened in the airport in Russia the other day uh, yes. where they were physically yes. trying to take over a plane. And I think you're going to see a lot more like that because tempers seem to be only increasing, you know, yeah. the longer the conflict continues. Yeah. And don't forget that only happens in Russia with the complicity of the government. Right. right. So, yeah. you know, um, the Russians are more than happy to see an absolute conflagration in the Middle East and they're getting what they want. They're getting what they want out of the U S where you have, um, the new majority leader basically separating out support for Israel and support for the Ukraine. And even then, the only support for Israel seems contingent on defunding programs to actually allow the IRS to function. We've talked yeah. about this and not to get too political, yeah. but it really is bizarre and frankly kind of disgusting to me uh, that it is such a priority of the House leadership and on the right to defund the IRS when it is the only government program 
or a dollar spent returns more than a dollar. Uh, it really tells you the power of money uh, in politics. And money is powerful on both sides, don't get me wrong. But in this particular case, it is very clear what the motivation is of the GOP, and that is basically to protect tax cheats. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of money, within infighting, Hawley put uh, the end of Citizens United so much, uh, sure. it seems like he's gonna take the floor. And Mitch McConnell does not like that. In fact, he pulled a lot of senators who have, you know, sure. achieved money from his super PAC and said, this is what you get from this, but yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, sounds good, Tim. Well, uh, I think that's all we have this week. We'll pick it up next week. So for all our listeners and subscribers, we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.